Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Glad you are all here this morning. Hadn't you heard that hymn done that way ever before? I guarantee you First Presbyterian didn't hear it that way this morning. I'm glad to see all of you guys this morning. Uh, welcome to those of you watching online. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing the services. It's always wonderful to hear from people who watch our church from all over the country and even in other countries. And so we're very thankful for that and very grateful that you're here. We're in a series, a Christmas series, where we're talking about resounding joy and how to beat the holiday blues. And the reality of it is everybody deals with something during this season. Last weekend, we talked about the reality of sorrow that can hit our hearts during a holiday season. Uh, most of us have someone we love who aren't going to be with us again for another Christmas season. And so that's a reality that we have to navigate through. We don't want it to become so overwhelming that it takes away our ability to make new memories and to enjoy those around us and those that we love. And sometimes you gotta have help to navigate through those sorrowful moments that can happen during the holiday season. So last week we started out talking about how uh, you gotta change how you look at things. You have to see through it. You need to change your perspective because if you don't, you don't see things as they are, you'll see things as you are. So if you're angry and hostile and bitter, then man, everything in the world is just bad and sour and you know going wrong. And if you can change how you look at things, if you can change your perspective and you can kind of broaden the lens a little bit and realize there is a God, he is in control, he knows what he's doing, he has a plan, he can be trusted. Doesn't mean we always agree, it doesn't mean that we always um, like it, but it is what it is. And you come to terms with it and you finally say, I'm just gonna change the way I've been looking at the things that I'm going through. And it'll make a huge difference, I'm telling you, man. It'll help you beat back the blues and it'll help you have some joy. So we said you have to see through it. This morning, I wanna take the next step and I wanna talk about not only seeing through it, I wanna now talk to you about praying through it. Now, seeing through it changes my perspective on how I deal with sorrow. Praying through it changes my perspective on how I deal with stress. I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but have you noticed there's a lot of stress associated with this time of the year? Is it just me? There's just some stress associated. I told you last weekend, Christmas is the only holiday that has a countdown tied to it. You only got so many more days, Ben. Have you gotten started yet? You better get going, right? There's just a stress that is associated with this time of the year. I mean, some of you are hosting, so your stress level is up. You got all the family coming, and then you found out that that certain family member is coming this year, and you know the one I'm talking about. That one that always tends to put a little hitch in the get along, that always creaks a little tension right there, you know? Every family has one. And uh, if you don't know that, you might be that one. So I'm trying to, maybe I want to help a brother this morning or a sister. The point is, uh, there's some stress. And then you gotta get the house ready, right? Boy, I remember those days, good night. See, there's clean and then there's company clean. And company clean is a whole different level of cleaning. It's just a different pressure. And then there's the going to the grocery store. There's the buying things. You have to get ready. You got to plan for who all is going to be there. Then there's the getting ready for that. Then you got the shopping, right? You got to go out and buy the gift 
for the, for, for the people, and you're trying to think, okay, what do they say they want? What do you think they need? I mean, just give them money, just give them a card. Maybe this year I'll, I'll just bless them and I'm not gonna give any gifts, I'm just gonna give them my opinion. <laughs> anyway, uh, but the point is, uh, you, you try to think through what you could give them for, for Christmas, right? That's, there's, there's some pressure. Then you look at your budget, oh my gosh. Then you start looking at the budget for Christmas and you realize, man, there is far more month than I got money. I mean, what are you gonna do? You got Dave Ramsey out there screaming in your ear, don't put anything on a credit card. <laughs> so you're trying, you know, to navigate through all that kind of thing because you don't want January, to, you don't wanna go from jingle bells to juggle bills, you know, you, and boy, that can happen. And all of a sudden, you're trying to figure out, what did I do, what was I thinking? And I'm just, I, I'm, I know I'm talking, again, I'm preaching to the choir, talking to Noah about a flood here, but I know we get it, this time of the year, there's a certain amount of stress. Uh, in fact, medical, uh, e even medical health or, or, or uh, mental health officials have identified that the natural stressors that people face, the top three, are tied to relationships, uh, tied to finances, and, and tied to physical health. Those are, those are the top three things they say, mental health officials say people will, will stress about. But did you know during the Christmas holiday, Christmas bumps in at number two as being the thing people stress about uh, as much if not more than anything else. Only finances or sometimes relational issues bumps Christmas out of being number one. In fact, mental health uh, uh, experts have actually identified a term for this. They call it festive stress. Festive stress, meaning it's a whole nother uh, uh, experience that people go through during the holiday season that brings on anxiety and brings on stress that is unlike any other time of the year. Festive stress. In fact, a survey I read this last week was interesting. It said one out of three people say that the holidays have become more stressful than enjoyable. Wow, think about that. One out of three. But more... <laughs> stressful than enjoyable. Well, can I suggest something to you? We might be doing something wrong. If this time of the year is becoming more stressful than enjoyable, can we stop long enough, hit the pause button, and say, why is that? Why are we allowing the stress of this season to take the joy of the season away? And I contend this morning there's a spiritual principle that will help you navigate from the holiday blues into having a joyful season, and it's tied to prayer. Here's the thing I know about prayer. You cannot worry about something and pray about that something at the same time. Something's got to give. You can't, in fact, I would tell you, if you want to really amp up your prayer life, pray about what you worry about. I mean, you'd be, some of you be prayer warriors. <laughs> I, I talk to people who aren't, if they're not worried about something, then they're worried that they're not worried about something. You a perpetual worrier? And I'm just saying, you talk about amping up your prayer life. If you could learn the discipline, I'm going to pray about the things that I worry about. Let me give you a great verse. It's kind of my go-to when I talk about worry and stress and anxiety. It's in Philippians 4. Let me give this to you. It's two verses, Philippians 4. You might make a note of it so you don't forget it or read with me on the screen. Paul was writing, and he said, look, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Now, I know that sounds flippant. I know if you have someone that is a professional worrier and they come and saying, help me with this, and you say, just quit worrying, just stop it, just stop it. I mean, that sounds pretty trite, it sounds pretty simple, but Paul talks about what you do in place of worry. Here it is, keep reading. Be anxious, don't worry about anything, 
But everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, what did he do? He tied what he was anxious about to what he prays about. And not just prayer, but prayer with an attitude of gratitude, with thanksgiving. You catch that? I mean, uh, uh, Billy Sunday said, we, used to, we need to pull some of the groans out of our prayer and shove in a few hallelujahs. I mean, if you're not careful, you just go to God whining all the time. And I, mean, I think sometimes you look down from heaven and go, you know, cheese by that wine? I mean, all I get out of you is wine. I mean, and we go to God and we're just moaning and groaning constantly. And I'm saying one of the things that might transfer that, uh, uh, that blues into joy is if we stop long enough during the holiday season and count our blessings. We begin to think about the things, not that the things that we've lost, let's think about the things we have left. Think about the people God has put in your life, the friendships you have, your health. Think about the good things God has done for you and the fact that he's never failed you. Yeah, you've been disappointed. Who hasn't? And yes, you've been discouraged. Who isn't? But I'm just saying, God is faithful. And so Paul is saying, man, when you become so full of anxiety and full of worry, he said, begin to pray and pray with thanksgiving. You know, you know what the idea of anxious means? To be, not, don't be anxious about anything. In the Greek, it means to be pulled in different directions. You feel like your life is getting pulled in different directions? Everybody wants a piece of you. <laughs> you're trying to make everybody happy, and you're the most miserable person in the world. You're answering this call, responding to this text. You're sending this email, and you're just running, and you're meeting yourself coming. And that's the, that, that is, by definition, what the word anxious means. And he's saying, look, don't be anxious. Instead, start connecting these things that have you stress. Connect them with prayer in the spirit of thanksgiving. And then notice the payoff, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. He will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. He's saying, man, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to bring some tranquility to your heart where there's been turmoil and stress and struggle. I'm going to bring some, I'm going to bring some a serenity. I'm going to bring some peace into your heart. I'm going to take away the anxiety, and I'm going to replace it with peace. What's the key? Pray. Pray. In fact, when the apostles were busy about launching the early church in the first century, they had experienced this great uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and this dynamic on that day was 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus in one service. That church started out with 12, Jesus and his apostles, when he said in Matthew, on this rock I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And it went from 12 to about 120 by the time you get to Acts 1. And then on 120, when Simon Peter brings that message on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are added. And then when you get to the end of Acts chapter 2, it says, and the Lord added daily to the church such as were being saved, meaning the church was growing uh, day by day. More and more people were sharing their faith and receiving Christ as a result. Well, two things started happening. One, the religious community was upset about it because it created a new paradigm that was teaching people, it is not your religion that takes you to heaven, it's your relationship to Jesus. And they looked at Jesus as being a heretic. They looked at Jesus as being blasphemous. They, the religious community looked at Jesus as claiming to be God. And he was, and he is. But the religious community didn't receive that. So they looked at this band of Christians who were talking about that every day, and as they were growing in number, they looked at them as a bunch of crazy cultic heretics. So they started having that kind of pressure put on them. 
In fact, if you were a person of the Jewish faith and you committed to Christianity and you stepped out and followed after Jesus and declared that he is the Lord of your life now, in many cases, you would be desynagogued. You'd be put out of the synagogue. And if you were desynagogued, you couldn't buy, sell, or trade with any of your Jewish brothers or sisters. So many people were put out of business. Can you imagine going down to True Value and them say, oh, you're a Christian, we can't, we can't sell you anything. Or hitting the grocery store, oh, sorry, you're a Christian, I can't. <laughs> and you can't get employed anywhere, nobody will, nobody will hire you. And so all of a sudden, man, these people were suffering a, a lot of persecution and it was being directed, the fire was being directed from the religious community. Then the government got involved. And you had the Roman government who was going to put out the church, not because of their religious beliefs, but because they were swearing an allegiance to someone greater than Caesar. They were saying Jesus is Lord. And Caesar said, no one can be higher than I am. And so if you swear an allegiance higher to anyone other than Caesar, you're guilty of treason. So now they have the government coming after them. <laughs> so this band of Christians that, was, that were just simply telling people, Jesus Christ died and rose again. He will forgive you of your sins. He loves you as you are. He'll change your life, and he's here to take you to heaven one day. That was the message that was getting them in trouble. Sounds threatening, doesn't it? And so you have all this opposition. You have this oppression. You have these people who are going through a difficult time. They're struggling with their families. They're struggling personally, not for doing anything wrong, but for just simply trying to help people. And there's a dynamic that happens that I want to direct your attention to just for the balance of the time we have left with each other. It's in Acts chapter 4, and here's what happened. When they were anxious, and they were full of stress, and they were under duress, in Acts chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 31, they prayed. They prayed. I mean, they finally got to that point where they said, God, we, we don't have a plan. We don't know what to do. There's nowhere we can go to get away from this opposition. There's no way we can go to get away from this oppression. The, the, we don't know what to do. So the Bible says they band together and they pray. And when they pray, the Bible says the place where they were meeting was shaken. God just shook the floor. He gave them a clear, that's a pretty clear sign, that he heard their prayer. But can I say to you, God doesn't have to shake the floor around you to let you know he hears your prayer. God hears your prayer. No matter who you are, from where you've come, no matter where, what you're going through this morning, when you finally get to that point where you say, I can't do this on my own, and you begin to pray, God will respond in some way to the prayers of his people. You know, prayer is, is good, it's good theology. Prayer is good psychology. You know what happens when you pray? You get all that anxiety out of you. You get it out of your heart. I said it's good psychology. Psychologists will tell you that if you can get someone to talk about what they think about, most of the time they won't believe what they just heard themselves say. <laughs> My point is sometimes, man, our problems can take on a life of their own. And I think it gets worse at night. Everything kind of closes in on you. And your body is tired, but your mind is in fifth gear, man, hammer down. And you're, try, you're trying to process through this, and you're trying to work through it. And I told you before, I, I would stop counting the sheep and start talking to the shepherd. Because when you begin to push those problems out of your heart, all of a sudden, man, you're finding that, that it's a, a very cathargic kind of experience. In fact, we talked a few weeks ago about blessed are the pure in heart, remember? And the Greek word for pure is katharos. 
meaning my heart and your heart needs a catheter to get the impurity out of it. And what happens when you pray, it's a catharos, it's a purifying effect. It's getting that which is causing anxiety and worry, it's getting that that's in here, out here. And you're pushing it toward heaven. And so the Bible says when they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now understand, they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. When the Holy Spirit came and they received him, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were connected to God, they were one of his kids. See, there's, the Bible says there's one baptism, but there are many fillings. In fact, when you get to Ephesians 5, 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, it indicates be you being filled, continually being filled. How does that work? It means that these people were not filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment because I contend they were filled with anxiety. I told you before, we're all full of something. <laughs> we are. We're full of something. And you don't know what you're full of till you get squeezed, bumped, shaken, and what's in you comes out of you. And these guys were full of anxiety, they were full of worry. And what happens when you pray is you start emptying your heart of the things that it used to be full of. Fear, anxiety, worry, fret. Okay, God, I'm, I'm emptying that catharos, I'm pushing it toward you. Well, now your heart is, is being emptied, and it's being emptied, the Spirit of God can begin to fill that which is being emptied. Can I tell you what God can't do? God cannot fill what is already full. God cannot fill me if I'm full of me. Something's gotta go. And one of the things that happens when you pray is you begin to empty you of you. You acknowledge the fact, I can't do this, I'm not strong enough, I can't lift myself by my own bootstraps, I, there's no self-made anything, and so God, I can't without you, and you get to that point, that epiphany of life when you finally pray, and you empty you of you, and all of a sudden God fills the part of you that you just emptied. And notice the dynamic of that happening. They began to speak the word of God boldly. You know what the direct correlation between the fullness of the Holy Spirit is when a person begins to tell people about Jesus. You want the definition of a spirit-filled church? It's a church that makes a lot about Jesus. You talk a lot about Jesus. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll not speak of himself. Jesus said he'll speak of me. So if you want to know what, what, the, what the characteristics of a spirit-filled believer is, I'll tell you, they talk about Jesus. They make much of him. The same with the church. And so they began to speak the word of God boldly and note what happened. The believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions were his own, but they were willingly sharing everything they had. And notice what else, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The thing they got in trouble for doing, they're gonna now continue to do, and much grace was upon them all. Let me give you this and we'll go to the house. Three dynamics that happened here and that can happen in your life and mine when we began to pray through it. Number one, prayer changes our focus. Prayer changes your focus. You know what happens when you pray? You're no longer problem conscious, you're now God conscious when you pray. Prayer changes me from focusing on the problem to focusing now on the problem solver. There's nothing he can't do. In fact, rhetorically, he asked in the scripture, is there anything too hard for me? He says, man, shoot, well, what do you got? Pray some big old prayers. Pray some old scary prayers at God. Nothing's too hard for him. 
He knows about your crazy relatives that come into your house. That's not too big for him. He knows about the stress of the financial pressure you're under right now. That's no problem for him. He knows about the relational challenges you've got. That's no problem for him. He knows about the physical stuff that may be hitting your world or the world of someone you love. That ain't no problem for him. That ain't nothing but a thing. God can handle it. I'm just saying there's nothing too big for our God. And when you begin to pray and you connect prayer to the thing you worry about, all of a sudden, the focus of your life changes. You know why Jesus talked a lot about prayer in the first century in his ministry? Because when you study that time, you realize so many people who were pursuing God stopped praying. And they stopped praying, in my estimation, because the religious teaching they had received made prayer so confusing and so convoluted that it made prayer to seem unattainable for the average person. For example, the rabbis of that day would teach that prayers had to be sort of formalistic, ritualistic, full of verbiage. Um, For example, when you had a problem, you need to connect a certain prayer with a certain problem. So the rabbis would write the prayer. Now, by the way, you don't say prayers, you pray prayers. You don't say a conversation, you have a conversation. Prayer is talking to God. So it's just a little thing. <laughs> you can win at trivia on that one. You, you, you pray prayers, you don't say prayers. And so when you go to God, you, you, you pray a prayer. And so I'm suggesting that what the rabbis and the religious teachers would teach in that day is, you got a problem, the hens aren't laying, you know, uh, something's not happened. Uh, well, you, there's a certain prayer you pray to get that prayer answered. And not just a certain prayer you have to pray, but you have to put the words in the right order. It, it, it has to, uh, listen to this, there was one prayer the rabbis taught that had 63 adjectives in front of the name of God. Holy cow. That's not one of them, by the way. But that's <laughs> 63 adjectives. Gracious, loving, holy, righteous, forgiving, you know, blah, wah, nee, all, all, that, all that's true. He's, those are attributes of God, but they, it was like a combination lock. Three hallelujahs to the right, two glories to the left. You know, I mean, you got you to get them all in the right order or God's going to go up, talk to the hand. And so you had these people going, all right, well, is, is this the right prayer? Am I praying this prayer the right way? Am I saying the right things to God? Am I approaching? And then they were formalistic in the sense that you had to assume a certain posture. Now, don't get me wrong. I think when you can kneel or you can bow your head, that's always nice. It's showing humility and respect to God. But man, when you're trucking down 35 South doing about 70, probably shouldn't bow or kneel. You know what I'm saying? And yet God knows at that moment you need to pray. So I'm suggesting to you that they had this, this idea from the rabbi, I've got to assume a position, I've got to put these words, I've got to make sure I'm praying the right prayer. Here, here's another thing that got to confuse it. You've got to pray the prayer at a certain time of the day. You know, God like holds office hours. So he's not going to hear you at certain times of the day. So man, can, are you track, can you see how that had been a little confusing? For people who just finally gave up, this is too hard. I'll just leave the praying to the professional. When I pray, I'll just go to the temple or the synagogue and let them pray for me instead of me. I can't do this. So Jesus comes on the scene. He says, let me simplify this for you. Let me put the cookies on the bottom shelf here. He said, when you pray, you approach God this way. You approach him as Abba, dad, father, daddy, however you refer to your father. You, repro- you, you approach him relationally. 
Now, I know, I've, I've raised a couple of kids, got grandkids. I don't know how many of you guys are in the kids' zone right now, but here's what I found. Can I, maybe I have somebody have my back. I, my kids never had a problem asking me for anything. <laughs> Am I alone on that one? Never a problem asking me for anything. Max said when one of his daughters called, it was going to cost him money. When the other daughter calls, it means it's going to be something for him to do. <laughs> Some of you can relate to that. I'm just saying that's the way it works with kids. I never had one of my kids worry about the time of day they're going to approach me for something or how they would approach me for something or what they would say when they got to me. Can you imagine? Oh, thou most righteous, wonderful father who inhabits the cab of thy pickup. <laughs> Wilt thou bestow upon this thy child? You know, whatever. I mean, man, most of the time, I didn't know I'd been hit till I went to the store and opened my wallet and see the cupboard is bare. One of the kids hit me. I'm broke. My point is, there was a familiarity. They knew they didn't have any, they weren't threatened by that. They weren't fearful when they approached me. And Jesus is saying, your father loves you. You don't love your kids more than he loves his. God says, if you go to your, your heavenly father, if you go to your earthly father and ask for a fish, he doesn't give you a snake. That's actually in the Bible. Jesus had a sense of humor. He said, man, if you ask for bread, he doesn't give you a rock. That was Jesus. I think that's funny, actually. Can you imagine going to dad, Jesus' illustration? Don't you know they laughed? I bet Jesus was hilarious. Dad, I need some, I need some uh, bread, and he gives you a stone. Chew on this, kid. <laughs> right? Dad, I like a piece of fish. How about a snake? That's pretty funny, actually. And I'm just saying that he said, in, his, in the context that he was saying that in is, if you love your kids that much, how much more does your heavenly father love you? You go to him, and he's not going to give you a rock to say, chew on that. He's not going to give you a snake to say, good luck with that. He's your father. He loves you more than you love you. You might not die for you, but he did. Jesus said, man, in fact, when you read Matthew 6 and you read all of Luke 18, he says, avoid three things when you pray. Simple. Go for him like a father and avoid three things. Number one, avoid hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't try to spin him. Don't try to fake him out. Don't try to act like something you're not. Uh, I mean, if you're angry, I would say pray an angry prayer. Have you ever prayed an angry prayer? I prayed a few. I fired a few up there. You say, oh, I couldn't pray an angry prayer. That sounds all, that just sounds terrible. As though God doesn't know your heart anyway. That he doesn't know you're already mad. He understands. Look, none of us would be here if God just killed us every time we questioned him or we didn't understand him. Nobody would be around. None of the Old Testament or the New Testament would be there. We'd all be gone because none of us understand God. I'm just suggesting to you that sometimes you're angry, pray, sometimes you're hurt. Pray a hurt prayer. It's all right to go to God and say, I don't understand this. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. My heart is broken over this. I don't get this. It's all right. Pray a confused prayer. I don't know what to do, God. I don't know what decision to make. I don't know whether I need to charge or retreat. <laughs> I don't know. Fish or cut bait. I mean, what do you want? I don't, I ain't getting nothing up here. What, what are you talking? I don't, I'm not hearing you. That's okay. Pray that prayer. You're getting it out of you. Instead of being full of anxiety, you'll start being full of the spirit and he'll start bringing you peace and he'll start saying, I got you and I got this. Pray that prayer. 
It changes your focus. Jesus said, don't come at me and spin where you are. Don't come at me like a hypocrite. I know you're upset, and I know you're hurt, and I know me and you hadn't talked in a long time. I know that. I know when you walked away. I know where you went when you were gone. I know what you did when you were there, and I still love you. And if you come back to him, as the hymn writer says, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Him who comes to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. Pray. Avoid hypocrisy. You know the second thing he said to avoid? Avoid pride. Man, don't strut into the presence of God. Avoid pride. Come with a sense of humility. Walk into his presence saying, God, I honor you, I respect you, I revere you. When the Bible speaks of fearing God, it doesn't mean cringing dread. It means reverence and respect. You respect him as you would respect your father. You respect him as you respect your mother. When you're under the roof of your parents, the Bible says, obey, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's the first command with a promise, the Bible says. But once you're out from under their roof, the Bible now says, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and your days will be long on the earth. You know what honor means? It means to give weight to. It means you weigh the word of your mother or father heavier than you would anyone else's. You have a friend that's telling you one thing and you weigh what they just told you against what your mom or dad just told you. You, you, you give them respect. You weigh their word. I'm going to weigh what you've said against what I've heard from these other people because I know you love me and you care for me and you know me. And, and so I'm, I'm going to weigh. That's honoring. That's honor. When you come into the presence of God, it's not walking into God saying, okay, God, I got a lot to talk about. So have a seat. I mean, Lord, I want my will to be done in heaven. So I'm going to, you know, like he's some kind of divine errand boy that exists to just make us all happy all the time. No, here's the example. Jesus set the example in the garden. He said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Man, you don't come into the presence of God in prayer and demand anything. You come into the presence of God and say, Father, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've told you before, God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. So I'm saying there has to be this idea of humility. Jesus said, don't come at me with hypocrisy. Don't come at me with me with pride. And the third thing, he said, don't come at me with vain repetition, empty words, meaningless words. I told you earlier, you know, we teach kids how to pray prayers, and sometimes they have to say a prayer before they can pray a prayer, right? You're teaching them how to pray. Remember that little prayer we taught our kids, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. What's the other line? If I should die before I wake. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? If I should die, now go to sleep, kids. Don't worry. Maybe nobody breaks in the house and kills us all. <laughs> if we are, we're going to go to heaven. Pray the Lord my soul to take, you know. But anyway, point is, <laughs> the point is we're, we're, we're teaching kids how to pray. But man, once, once you get up to be, you know, a little older, you, you, you need to kind of, you know, get creative. Pray, pray your own prayer. Say, you're, you know, you, you, you talk to him as you're talking to me or you or someone else. You're, you're just talking to God. You're, you're not saying the prayer. I'm back to that. You're praying the prayer. And you do it without empty words. You don't talk to people with empty words. You don't say the same thing to the same person. You're in a relationship the same way every time. God says, don't say that to me either. Keep it fresh. Keep it real. And those were the only three qualifiers. And Jesus said in Luke 18, the very first verse, he said, look, you ought to always pray. And if you pray, you won't faint. You won't quit. 
if you pray. So what's the first point? Prayer changes our focus. Here, and quickly. Second thing prayer will do, prayer strengthens our fellowship. The thing that happened in the verses I just read you in Acts 4 is they were connected with each other. They started sharing with one another the things that they had. Why? It wasn't teaching some first century model of socialism. It was teaching people that there was a dynamic happening in the church because the people were losing jobs, people weren't able to buy food, people weren't able to make it. So if this person had two of a thing, they might give one of those two things to someone who had no thing. And if a person had been blessed with an abundance, they might help someone else who hadn't been blessed with an abundance. They were sharing with one another. It was survival. The Greek expression for that uh, work of all things common is the word koinonia. It means significantly two things. It means to share something with someone. It means to share in something with someone. When you share something with someone, you say, hey, pray for me. Here's what's going on. I want to make you aware. Just keep me in mind. If something comes up, remember me. To share in something with someone is to say to them, I'll drive you to that doctor's appointment. Let me take care of your yard. You can't do that while you're sick. Let me go to the store for you. I'm going to do, now you're sharing in something with someone. You see the difference? So there's two levels. And what was happening because they prayed is God was creating a unity within that group of Christ followers. You know what no human person can do in anybody's church? I don't care how small or large the church is. No human leadership, watch this now, can create unity. You can't. No human leadership, no organization, no creative pastor or leaders or group of leaders, no church of its own volition can create unity. You can't create unity because you've got so much diversity. You've got diversity of opinion. You've got a diversity of culture. You've got diversity of education. You've got diversity of e economic status. There's so much diversity in the average church. Now what happens, sometimes some churches try this and instead of getting unity, they think it's uniformity. Uniformity is we all think alike, we all act alike, we all look alike, we, you know, we, don't, we walk the line, and, and there's no diversity of thought at all because we're uniformity. And the Bible doesn't talk about Christians being in uniformity, it says we're to be in unity, meaning within our diversity, there's unity. The point I'm making is only God can create that, only God. Read Ephesians 4 when he says to the leaders of the church, he says, here it is, protect the unity of the Holy Spirit. Protect it. Now, we're to protect it, but we can't create it. The only way you can make a church loving is to get the church to be praying. Because the more, listen, the more we pray for one another, the more we'll love each other. The more we pray for one another, the more united God will bring us to one another. That regardless of who you are, where you come from, what you're going through, if you can put your focus on prayer, God will create a dynamic in a church. He will create a dynamic in a community of unity through prayer. So when these people committed to praying, not only did it change their focus, it strengthened their fellowship. Here's the last thought. Ultimately, it ensures our fruitfulness. The Bible says... With great power, they continued to testify, and great grace was upon them all. In other words, they continued to do the thing they had been doing that had gotten them in trouble, but they did it with greater power and greater grace. God just poured out his spirit in abundance on them. And here's the dynamic of that early church. They went from adding daily those who should be saved to by the time you get to Acts 4, the Bible says the Lord multiplied them 
And then when you go a little farther in the book of Acts, it says, and the multitudes multiplied. So he went from adding to the church to multiplying within that church. What was the dynamic? Prayer. It was just that they realized we can't, God. If this ministry reaches a different level of effectiveness, it will come not by might nor by power, but by thy spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And when those people were driven to prayer of necessity, it changed their focus, it strengthened their fellowship, it ensured their fruitfulness. Folks, we have a lot of things that we want to see God do in and through our church. I mean, I'd love to see him expand even more on our ability to help hurting people. Cindy and I and our kids and a handful of friends who are here this morning in this service, some watching, when we started the church, one of the things we knew is we wanted this ministry to be able to be one that will help hurting people. We knew too strategically you need to place a church. If you're going to help under-resourced area, you have to have resources. So we placed the church in this area of the city where there are a lot of resources because we knew if we could reach people with resources and we could get them to see what we're trying to do, they'll support it and be a part of it and we can help people who are under-resourced. I've been doing ministry now since I was a teenager. I've been doing it full-time consistently for 45 years now. I know what you're thinking. I should be better at it by now than I am. <laughs> Sorry, I'm working on it. Brother's working on it. But I'm saying that we started it with this idea, let's try to be a ministry that helps hurting people. So many times we hear and we criticize, well, people look to government instead of God for help. You know why that's true? Because by far and large, people have looked to the churches and the churches hadn't been able to help them because churches have no resources. And so the people to survive have had to look to the government. So I want our church to be a prototype. What if we were a church that honestly directed our resources toward helping hurting people? That's why we have the Help House Center. I'm honored that, uh, to be able to see it named in honor of Cindy. I think that's a wonderful thing. That was her heart, her passion. And you know, I'm not critical. I've been here a long time, like I said, doing ministry. I, I, know, I know most of the pastors in the area. I know most of the pastors in our city. And I'm not, I love them. I'm not critical of any of them because God's put certain ministry uh, vision on their heart, but it's never been the heart of, the, God's never put it in my heart to create little mets everywhere, you know, I, I, to franchise the church. I just never have uh, seen that that's what we're supposed to do. Instead, I've always believed that we ought to have a base that is, that is solid enough and secure enough to take care of the people who are attending. That's why I think we have two buildings left. We have the Help Out Center building and then one more auditorium. Uh, and, it, and I'm not pressured to build that other auditorium. If it never happens under me and the next guy does it, I'm fine. But I'm not driven to do anything. I'm not compelled to do anything like that. I'm just saying, best case scenario, that's what I'd like to see happen. One more auditorium and this help out center. And then I'd love to see our church get strong enough and healthy enough, and we're getting there, to take every dime and dollar above administrative costs that we need just to function and put it back into this community to help hurting people not franchise, not put little mats everywhere. I don't think that's what we need, but instead do something to impact these areas that are under-resourced. What I think we might be able to do is be a prototype, to be an example to other churches to say, you know what will move people away from a dependency on government is to get them back when they can count on God, where the church won't let them down, where the church says, you need help stay in your house, we can help you. You need help to make your bills this month? We can help you. I mean, we're taking the grocery bill off of hundreds of people 
Already we're doing that. I'd love to do more. I'd love to, instead of reinventing the wheel, wouldn't it be nice to go to a crisis pregnancy center this next year and say, what's your annual budget? Just curious. Our church is going to cover that for you. So you don't have to get out and do fundraisers and you don't have to do runs and walks and, you know, sell, whatever. You know, we, we can do, listen, there, God's people have enough resources to do everything we need to do to take people, to help people if we just get it turned in that direction. So here's where I am. I'm done preaching. I'm just talking. We're going to go home. Here's where I am. I know I'm in the fourth quarter of life. You may look at me and say, oh, heavens, no, Bill. You got a lot more years. No, I'm in the fourth quarter. I know that. I talked to a buddy of mine not long ago. He goes, man, I feel like we're at halftime. I says, dude, you're not going to live to be 110. Are you lost your mind? <laughs> you know, son, you're in the fourth quarter. The clock is ticking. So I know where I am. I'm not, I'm not unaware of my, my season of life. But what I want to do since Cindy's been in heaven, especially since she's been in heaven, I don't want to waste time. I want to spend the balance of my time to see our church get healthy enough, strong enough, to have the resources enough so we never turn anyone away who needs help. So this ministry, again, we could go, I'd love to go into Southside and the Northside and help a church that's strategically located do what we're doing, be able to help them establish a help-out center and be able to help the people. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to help people in those areas of town? That's my heart. That's really what I want to see us do. And you're going to hear more about that as I get older and I talk more about that. So I just wanted to share that too with you. That's one of them for what it's worth. It's free like the rest of it, so I just want to put that on the end of it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. And Father, I know all the vision, and I can talk all these wonderful, grandiose ideas, but Lord, if we don't bathe those in prayer, the hearts of your people won't move, the resources won't flow, and all of those dreams and visions will never become reality. So, Father, first and foremost, we humble ourselves before you, and we pray. We want this church, this church, to be the body of Christ. We want this church to be a place where people get help, how they can know you and know one day they're going to be in heaven and their sins are forgiven, but while they're on this earth, they can make ends meet. They can feed their kids. They can make their house payment and their car payment. They can get by in life and, and learn how to thrive in partnering with you. Help us do it. Lord, we, it's still, we're still learning how to do that. So help us to do it. And Father, I just confess to you as I confess to this church, I'm not able to do that. So Lord, I ask you, please, Father, pour out your spirit in this place. Help us, Lord, to be the church you see us and design us to be. You said upon this rock, I will build my church. So, Father, we look to you to build it. If you don't build it, it won't get built. So, Father, help us. Guide us. Give us wisdom. Show us the way. And finally, Lord, for my friends watching or those in the room who may never have trusted you as Savior, I pray they'll pray this prayer. This is the prayer that will make the difference in eternity. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. With everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.